you know, in the Netherlands, I just, I was, was never without my bike. And we came back to the States. And the first thing that I did when we came back here is I looked for a nice little used step through style bike because I knew that I wanted to ride my bike more. And if I was going to ride my bike more, it had to be convenient and easy for me to do so. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast, conversations about creating a culture of activity in our communities. My name is John Simmerman, and I'm the founder of the Active Towns Initiative and your grateful host during this podcast journey. It's wonderful to have you along for the ride. In this episode, I'm delighted to bring you a conversation I recently had with Dom Nazi and Maggie Wattups of Boulder, Colorado. Dom and Maggie, as a couple, are enthusiastic supporters of the Active Towns Initiative, which I sincerely appreciate, and they're cheerleaders for all things associated with creating more livable, walkable, bikeable, heck, lovable places. Dom is a veteran urbanist and the author of the book, Road to Ruin, an introduction to sprawl and how to cure it. Whereas Maggie is a relative newcomer to the topic and provides a truly refreshing perspective to the discussion. We cover a wide range of subjects, including their recent move to a downtown adjacent condo just a block away from Pearl Street, Maggie's introduction to Dutch upright bikes and utilitarian cycling, the Mapleton Hill Porch Fest, as well as their new blog, Follow Our Footprints. But first, I must let you know that this episode is being brought to you by the monthly contributions being made by our Patreon page patrons, as well as our many one-time donors. If you enjoy the Active Towns podcast and are in a position to contribute, please consider helping out. I know that times are tough. We're certainly feeling it. So it's worth saying that no amount is too small and very much appreciated. The fact is, without your investment in this effort, I simply could not produce this podcast. For your convenience, I've included all the appropriate links in the show notes to this episode, or you can just head over to our website right now at activetowns.org, or head over to our Facebook page and click on the donate button. Thank you so very much. Okay, with that out of the way, here's my conversation with Dom and Maggie. Enjoy. I am absolutely delighted to have online with me Dom Nazi and Maggie Wattups. How are you two? Couldn't be better. Could not be better. Yeah, things are great. Um, we are isolating and sometimes, you know, have to get out there just to see people's faces, but we're doing well. So I want to give our listeners a little bit of background on the two of you. You are two Boulder-based friends and you moved, you made a move to a downtown adjacent condo relatively recently. It, it, it wasn't like it was last week or anything. It's been a little while. But you made that move for some very specific reasons. And to be clear, the neighborhood that you moved from was a neighborhood which was really, really cool. I, I have other friends that live up in that area and, and love that North Boulder neighborhood. Give us a, an idea of why you wanted to move to the downtown location. John, you're right that um, the uh, design of that neighborhood, North Boulder, is very impressive. Victor Dover led the effort to redesign that uh, holiday neighborhood, and I was very drawn to the design, the character overall. Over the course of the time we lived there, though, fairly briefly, um, I came to realize that we had some pretty lengthy bicycle rides to get to the town center from where we were, even though our, our neighborhood, immediate neighborhood, was uh, pretty pleasant. The fact that we need to go to town center to really enjoy certain cultural aspects of Boulder meant that we had a pretty good bike ride. And a big part of what I am drawn to, and I know a lot of, a lot of other Americans as well are drawn to, is the convenience of living in a place where you can quickly walk, easily walk to a lot of destinations. Our new location here at this condo on Spruce Street is incredible in terms of how proximate we are to a lot of things we need to go to all the time, like sh grocery shopping. Uh, the, the main bus station is actually within walking distance of our, our condo. So we actually can walk to uh, catch a bus to go skiing from here. 
And it's really interesting, too, for in the sense that conventional wisdom suggests that living in a suburban location with easy car access gives you convenience. In fact, it's, it's, it's pretty much the opposite. The, uh, the closer you are, the more you can walk to places, i.e. town center locations, gives you a lot more convenience than if you have easy travel by car. Maggie, what has your experience been like and what did Dom not capture that resonates with you about that, that move? Right. So I would say, you know, most of what he said, um, you know, we wanted to be able to just kind of get on our bikes or just walk anywhere, which we can do. Um, I've got probably four or five grocery stores I can get to within a 10 minute walk or a three minute bike ride. And, you know, I guess the only other thing that I would mention is although the neighborhood was very nice up in, in North Boulder where we were at, we could walk to the cafe we could walk to a store, we could walk to a couple of restaurants, but there were only a couple. So what we have here is, and and it was great, you know, it was great to be able to walk to those places. But what we have here is just a lot more flexibility and and a lot more options about where we can go and what we can do. So it's made my life a lot less stressful, uh, just having to go out and go to places because I want to do those by bike or I want to do those by walking in most cases. So there are occasions where we take a car, but in most cases, it will be on foot or by bike. I wanted to add something else. While we do have a great proximate location to a lot of destinations, and we love that, we also have actually a uh, house design, a condo design that's not conducive to the front porch lifestyle that I'm really drawn to. We have a, a rather tall brick wall in our front patio area that blocks the permeability, the sociability that I would love and really enjoy to the sidewalk, the public sidewalk in front of us. We, so that brick wall actually reduces our ability to enjoy that front porch lifestyle that is so appealing. Yeah, it, exactly. And and we'll uh, we're going to circle back around to front porches. And we'll talk a little bit about the Porch Fest event, because I think that that really emphasizes something about sociability and community cohesiveness. It's really cool to experience that as an event, but it also you know brings us back around to this whole coronavirus thing and the fact that people are starting to occupy street space <laughs> because sidewalks are are just too narrow in an era when we need to be physically separating ourselves from others. But before we head in that direction, let's I alluded to it earlier. Let's let's talk about that weekly walk that you do. And Maggie, I'll have you start off and be sure to mention your, your certain little furry friend that, that comes along. Right. So uh, once we moved into this um, townhome here, we decided one of the things that we would do every week on Sunday, and it just kind of started actually as a whim probably a few weeks after we moved in, is that we would walk to a different cafe, um, either along Pearl Street or just kind of in the surrounding neighborhoods. And we would do a Sunday cafe walk and sit down and enjoy a coffee. Uh, We would invite friends uh, who also were in walking distance so that they could meet us. In addition to that, I I have a little chihuahua, a little six and a half pound chihuahua, and we would take her as well. And I call it the long walk. So she knows on Sunday morning that we're going to go on the long walk and she gets very excited. So yeah, we all go and you know, in the summertime, it's it's wonderful. It's glorious because we can just sit out on the sidewalk and watch people walk by. And we usually will sit there for about an hour, hour and a half and and socialize with sometimes it's just us. Sometimes it's with friends and we do it pretty much every week, no matter what the conditions are. So in the winter, I, you know, we have, of course, Chiquita, my dog won't go out in the winter. So sometimes we leave her home during the, the cold season. But we still get out there and trek and go to the coffee shops. And sometimes our friends will join us. And sometimes they say it's just too cold, but we do it. We also go overseas quite a bit. And on Sundays, I'm sure you've seen in our posts, we continue with the tradition, which is very easy to do because most European cities uh, really have the, the cafe lifestyle. So it's just something we do and we'll continue doing it. Yeah. And I would also say that since I do follow you very, very closely on all of your trips, uh, you do cheat a little bit. On those trips, you tend to post a cafe shot almost every day. Dumb. Talk a little bit about that 
process and the intent of documenting it the way you have and what some of the feedback has been like, you know, from folks, you know, chiming in and talking about that process, because there's, there's some intentionality to sharing this. And as somebody who is on the other end consuming it, again, it brings such joy to see those posts. Yeah, we find that we get a lot of people who, who like our posts uh, for our Sunday Cafe walks on Facebook. So while we, we often don't have a lot of friends join us on the walks, we do find that there's a lot of people that really envy that that Sunday walk and wish they could do it. Oftentimes the uh, time doesn't work or they don't live close enough to be able to walk with us. But we do know that a lot of our friends, a quite a large number of our friends do really envy what we're doing and really enjoy seeing that. And so I like to, to do a re- regular posting of that cafe walk to, to have people at least vicariously share in, in what we're doing and what we're enjoying. One of the things that strikes me is that I think that when we talk about wanting to encourage more compact development, more infill development, I think that it's really important for us to be able to, le- to leverage the concept of envy that if we have people envy those of us who live in a compact town center location, that kind of lifestyle, I believe, becomes more attractive. It becomes less scary, less uncertain as to what it really means or what it, what it actually entails. I think a lot of people have misconceptions about living in a town center location. Oh, there's, there's concerns about crime. There's concerns about drugs, et cetera, et cetera, homeless people. When we convey through various social media, what we're doing and how much we enjoy it and people actually being able to see it visually, I think that we are leveraging uh, that concept of envy. And I think envy, every, envy leverage is an important thing for us to be leveraging to promote our whole agenda of walkability and active lifestyles and uh, living in appropriate locations. Yeah, I just wanted to mention uh, right before we were, you know, we were ordered to lock down. One of the things that Dom and I were were starting was a afternoon uh, happy hour walk. So I think that probably we'll start incorporating once a week the opportunity to either bike or walk down to a local establishment and just have a glass of wine or a beer or something just in the afternoons at about four o'clock. And so that's another advantage to living to living so close to uh, so many so many wonderful restaurants is there's a lot of opportunity to get out there and socialize, whether it's morning coffee or, you know, afternoon happy hour. So I think you'll start to see those those roll out as well once we're able to get out there and just kind of start interacting uh, somewhat normally again. And to add to that, it's also important to know that uh, in regard to convenience and safety, uh, town center lifestyle means that we often walk to our afternoon or evening happy hour. We walk there, we walk back. And so therefore, we're we're less likely to have issues with uh, driving after drinking, which gives us a lot more safety. We have less likelihood of, of drunk driving concerns or crashes or whatever because we're walking. We're not driving a car. Our happy hours are therefore more carefree and more laid back. Yeah, that's a good point. Maggie, talk a little bit about you. You had mentioned local establishments and and I know that you, you guys try to support local businesses. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it's really important to um, to support your local your local establishments and your local businesses. I came from a community where uh, before I moved to Boulder, uh, where a lot of the establishments were chain establishments. And so you didn't feel like you got the same uniqueness or the same experiences uh, when you went out, whether it was for coffee or happy hour or dinner or what have you. And so I think that being in a town, in a town like Boulder, especially where a lot of the establishments that follow along that main downtown corridor are independently owned. And it brings such such a uniqueness and and I feel like the experiences are just so different from what you get in other places where you don't have that. So it is really important to keep the community thriving and and just be able to have more variety um, as you go out. So important, you know, supporting the local businesses and the local eating establishments, the local coffee houses, what have you. To me, that's just key in living in a in a small downtown like this where we have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Dom, why don't you uh, talk a little bit about how you're handling your uh, gatherings in this era of the pandemic? We are uh, quickly learning about the various um, tools we have to virtually meet through various programs that are available to us, either through 
our computers or through the internet. Uh, we use uh, Zoom regularly as a uh, device. And we're finding that it actually uh, is more enjoyable than one would expect to meet virtually, to have a connection, even though it's not a person-to-person -person connection. We do have the ability to actually see each other and talk with each other. It's more challenging, obviously, and less rewarding. We're not actually sharing food or drink, for example, but we do have some connection. I do believe, too, on this topic that, that I think that our society is feeling a real longing for getting back to what we call normal interaction between human beings. We're a social species. For us to be isolated like this is not comfortable. It's, and I think there is, as I said, there is a longing in our society on, a, on the part of many of us to want to be able to get back to interacting person to person again. And what I'm hoping, and I think Chuck Moran made this point in your podcast recently, uh, I think we're, we're, what I'm hoping is that we will have a lot of people in society say, you know what, I now understand how distasteful it is to be so isolated and, and, and I want to make it a point going forward that we are going to be engaging more socializing and more interaction with people than we perhaps had done in the past because I really see now how important it is to my quality of life. Yeah, I wanted to mention that we started doing the virtual coffee walks on Sunday because the first Sunday that we were locked down, um, I made a cappuccino at home and I took a photo, you know, I took a picture and posted on Facebook of just this lone coffee sitting on my dining room table. And of course, a lot of friends came in and said, wow, we'd like to join you, you know. And so Dom and I just said, well, why don't we just do this on Sundays and start asking people to join us virtually. And then we can all, you know, we all make our coffees, we make our fancy little coffees, and and we still have the opportunity to sit around and talk. And we also sit around, you know, we also talk about how we're doing, what we're doing to get outside, uh, how we're interacting. And we're always coming up with new things to do and new ways to interact by, you know, virtually by, by doing this. And so, yes, it has turned into a virtual coffee walk, but what's interesting about the virtual coffee walk as well is it's expanded uh, the number of people who can participate because they no longer have to be within walking distance of the cafe to meet us there. They can be pretty much anywhere around the world. And so it's kind of opened the doors to who we can who we can invite and who we can socialize with while we we wake up and have our our morning coffee. Yeah, it's almost it's, that's a certain amount of beauty in a rather tragic situation. Yeah, I think Maggie actually just just mentioned what I was going to mention that that virtual meetings is very interesting and unusual in the sense that it's no longer geographically limited. We can invite anyone to join us in these meetings anywhere in the world as long as they have internet access and, and devices. And it's it's taking some adjusting too, because you know, we think about inviting people throughout most of our lives. We think about people that are close enough to be able to do so. But now we have to adjust to this new world today where that's not relevant anymore. We can invite anyone we want no matter where they are, no matter if they're thousands of miles away or just down the block. And so I'm, I'm still not quite comfortable doing that, but that it is interesting new world in that sense. So I wanted to mention as well with the morning coffee, the morning uh, virtual coffee walks is we host them, let's say between eight and 9am. And in the US, it is, you know, it is coffee time. But what I think we ought to try going forward is we have this time set, it can be a morning coffee walk for those of us who live in the States, but for our friends that live in Europe, it's their happy hour. And so who knows how that might, who knows how that might turn out. So, you know, we can always expand it and just say it's our time to get to be together to socialize, whether you're drinking coffee or whether you're having a glass of wine, it's just, we can make it something, you know, something for everyone. Come together over a beverage. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I think another thing too, that we need to adjust to and, and, and improve our skills with is as we socialize now more often virtually, we need to be better skilled at uh, communicating as a group virtually in the sense that now we don't have the cues we used to have in person to person uh, interaction being in the same room. It's harder for us to know or to skillfully interject in a conversation uh, virtually compared to to being in the same room. And I find, too, that there are some struggles for some of us in this virtual gatherings in the sense that if some of us are some of us are clearly clearly less uh, assertive when they speak or they're more introverted. And those people, I think, have more difficulty 
engaging in conversations in the virtual world because you really do need to be more assertive and more extroverted to engage in the conversation in this way compared to being in the same room. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, these are all good points. And, and certainly entire businesses are in organizations are like trying to navigate through, okay, how do we have effective meetings and, you know, and, and be able to, to make sure that everybody is, is being heard. And also it's, it's, it's setting the right tone for the environment that they're trying to uh, set up. So Maggie, one of the things I want to amplify on was something that you said, you, you said that one of the great things about moving to this new location is you're able to jump on your bike and, and be able to get to meaningful destinations and run some errands and all that. Talk a little bit about that experience, because when you said that, you know, I have a video here. I can see that you're you, when you said that you were beaming, you were smiling. Talk a little bit about that love of the bicycle and being able to do that now in this new environment. Because if I remember correctly, that the bicycle wasn't a big part of your life in your previous place that you live. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, the bicycle wasn't a big part of my life in general before I moved uh, to Boulder, because like I said, I came from a, you know, a large suburban community where a car was king. Um, and it was really dangerous, pretty much to take your bike out on the road. So coming to Boulder and seeing that cars in general, and I know people have different perspectives about this, but cars and, you know, overall in Boulder, are fairly respectful to cyclists. So I feel much more comfortable or felt much more comfortable just getting out there on my bike in general. And that was in, in the North where we lived and, and also here. But what I found is I can get to places by bike uh, much more quickly than I, can, um, than I can by car. I'll give you an example. For me, um, I go to a gym and it's probably about a two to three minute bike ride away. It's probably a six minute car ride away. So for me to go to the gym, unless it's really heavily snowing, I will take my bike because I just walk out the front door, unlock my bike. You know, I can take shortcuts uh, down to down to the gym and lock my bike up and be inside the gym in just a matter of three minutes, maybe four minutes. With my car, I don't think people realize how long it takes to navigate a, a car. I have to get in my car open my garage door, back my car out. And that right there is probably a minute or a minute and a half. And then drive through the streets, have to wait at stoplights uh, that I don't, I have to wait at probably two times, three times as many stoplights to get to the gym as I do if I'm on my bike. So I have to wait at those lights. I have to park in the parking lot, get out of my car and walk into the gym. And there's, you know, it's, it just takes a lot of time to do that. And it's the same with the grocery store, you know, having to navigate my car out of the, out of the garage, make my way to the parking lot, drive around, find a spot, and then walk into the store takes that process right there takes twice as long. So for me, it just, it's a lot faster process and it's a lot more enjoyable process because when I'm on my bike, I don't feel the same stress. I don't feel like if, you know, when you're in your car, you miss a light and kind of that feeling, you know, oh, now I have to wait. You don't get that. So for me, it's just a mass, a much faster process. And it's a much more enjoyable process to to get to where I need to go. And I found, especially once I moved downtown, is that I so seldom take my car out anywhere, because I can do everything by walking or or by bike. So for me, the preference is bike first, then walking, then car. I wanted to uh, play off a couple of things that Maggie said on, on those co those topics. One is that an important part of inc meaningfully increasing the number of people that are walking or bicycling or using the bus is that we need to make those forms of travel advantageous compared to driving a car. Uh, currently, it's very advantageous in our society to drive a car in almost every case. We can reorganize our society so that bicycling, walking, and transit are more advantageous to driving a car, and that, I believe, will increase meaningfully the number of people that are doing those active kinds of things. For example, as Maggie mentioned, we can design our communities so that it's actually faster. It's actually faster to bicycle or walk or use transit to use than to use a car. Uh, we can also make it much more clearly the case that it's actually cheaper financially to walk or bike or use the bus than to drive a car. 
Currently, those price signals were not as clear as they could be. Another way in which biking, walking, and transit can be more advantageous is simply through how how much less stressful it is and how much more enjoyable it is and how often you can stop and smell the roses when you're doing those things compared to being in a car. So advantageousness, I think, is another thing we should, we should be leveraging much better to have more people engage in those forms of travel. The second thing I want to mention is that, and Maggie, correct me if I'm wrong, I think a big point at which you had the epiphany that suggested that bicycling was a very desirable way to get around overall was your first trip, your first visit to Amsterdam. I think that when you experienced Amsterdam and saw the overwhelming number of people there who were riding a bicycle, I think you had the epiphany and you said to yourself, my God, this is just fantastic. I really see how people are enjoying themselves and how much better society seems to be functioning, how much more happy and less stressful they are. I want to I want to have this lifestyle myself. Yeah, so that is mostly true that going to Amsterdam really did really did change my world, um, seeing how people could get around, seeing how the roads were designed primarily for for bikes and, and pedestrians and how much safer I felt on the road in general. Um, so that is true. And, and it was such an enjoyable experience, uh, the short rides and even the longer rides that we that we took uh, in, in the Netherlands. But I have to mention one of the things that really changed my perspective was the style of bike that I had in the Netherlands. So the bike that I had here, and it was one that Dom purchased for me right before I, I decided to make this move, was a very nice Cannondale mountain bike. But it did not have, it was not like a, the the step through style bike. And when you're on the bike, you're leaning over a little bit more. It was more of a, a sport style bike. And that was great. And it was fine. But it was it was more tedious to get on and off of. And if I wanted to go run errands, it just took a little bit more energy and was less convenient, the style of bike. And when I was in the Netherlands, it was the first time I had really ridden one of those those step through bikes. And it's the kind that, you know, the, the bar, the middle, there's no middle bar, and it just kind of has that nice little curve and your foot can easily get in and out of this bike. Bike. You're also sitting more upright on the bike. So it's just an easier ride for somebody who's not out there cycling long distances and doing it for sport. So, you know, in the Netherlands, I just, I was, was never without my bike. Uh, pretty much in the Netherlands and Belgium, we, on that trip, we, we uh, traveled Netherlands and Belgium and pretty much every city I was with a bike all the time. And it was, it was easy. And we came back to the States. And the first thing that I did when we came back here is I looked for a nice little used step through style bike, because I knew that I wanted to ride my bike more. And if I was going to ride my bike more, it had to be convenient and easy for me to do so. So I purchased this nice little used Trek uh, step through hybrid bike. And I also, the other thing that I did was I bought the the Dutch style lock. I wanted to have that frame lock on my bike so that if I were just going to jump into a store quickly um, or a cafe quickly, I didn't have to find a spot, you know, a bike rack or a post or something to go take my U-lock and, you know, lock up my bike. I could just park out in front quickly and shut that little frame lock and run inside and come back. So it wasn't it wasn't a hassle to get on or off my bike or lock and unlock my bike. And those are things that I think that if we could incorporate those things or people could see the advantages of having that style bike and that style lock here, it would make it much easier for people to where it was it is a much more pleasant process to to just be able to get around by bike and and use your bike. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all great points. And Maggie, let's make sure that we include a photo of your bike and Dom the same with yours, if you'd like, uh, so that uh, we can include that in the show notes and give that visual to our listeners. Uh, to amplify what Maggie was saying, uh, one aspect of that, and this is this relates to my earlier point about meaningfully increasing the number of people that are bicycling or walking, is that it's very important that we do better in our society at normalizing bicycling. Uh, normalizing walking, normalizing using transit. It's really important that we don't, that we move away from this part of our world now where we have in many, many, many American cities, we have people that don't seem normal that are out bicycling. We, we, we see people in several thousand dollar bicycles. They're wearing Lycra and bright racing clothing. They don't seem like normal people. 
I believe, I'm firmly convinced that if we more often engage in bicycling on more normal bicycles, as Maggie was uh, was mentioning uh, in in the Netherlands that she was uh, enjoying and now here in America, if we start using more normal bicycles and start wearing more normal clothes, I believe that more people will say, you know what, these are normal people and they're doing normal things and I could probably do it myself. It just seems so so possible because it so seems so normal. It doesn't seem like it's this extreme margin of society. It seems normal. Yeah. So I want to follow up with that and talk a little bit about helmets because in the Netherlands and in Denmark and in Belgium and in Germany, you know, various places that we've cycled, people generally don't wear helmets there. And and it makes it much easier. That's another step that you have to, you know, you have to take in in the U.S. when you ride your bike. Is most people wear helmets, and then they have they have to put their helmet on. Women, of course, are always worried about their hair, so it discourages women or it discourages people from from biking a little bit because they feel like they have to put the helmet on to be safe. When they get to where they, you know, they want to go, how do you store the helmet? You know, some people will lock it to their bike. Some people worry about them getting stolen, but. For the type of bicycling that that we do in and around town, bicycling isn't dangerous. If I were out on the road and I were, you know, cycling 75 miles, you know, out on a busy road and I was going high speeds, um, I probably need to wear the Lycra. I probably need to wear the helmet. But for the type of bicycling that we do, there really isn't that need to do that. And you don't have to worry about carrying um, all of those other things or constantly worrying about a helmet, because I think that is a deterrent for people just going to the, you know, running to the grocery store and running to the little coffee house and running to the little things that you might do three or four different stops that you have on your bike and always have to worry about taking the helmet on and off and carrying that with you. That's just, it's just more baggage. Yeah, Maggie, I think what you're you're saying is that the situation uh, is is context sensitive. And that's like one of the wonky terms that we use that says that, you know, if the type of ride that you're doing is one where it would be more comfortable and potentially safer and more enjoyable for you to be wearing Lycra and be on a faster, more specifically design type of bike for that condition, whether it's a mountain bike or a lighter, faster material road bike, et cetera, the, the use of a helmet because of the type of environment that you're going to be in, you'd have a higher likelihood of, you know, crashing if you're out on a single track mountain bike trail versus going for a cafe run on a, a comfortable Dutch style upright bike. I want to talk a little bit about the the appropriateness and the significance of that type of bike. You you have this upright posture. You're able to easily see what's going on. You don't have stress and strain on your neck while you're riding. And, and I want to amplify that because one of the things that you talked about when you talked about your experience with riding a bike was you focused a lot on the practical advantages. You emphasized a lot on the time, but then at the end you'd say, oh, and it's more enjoyable. Part of what makes trips like this more enjoyable is that you are more relaxed. You are able to take in more things. And so I think that that's one of the, the points that, Dom, you were trying to amplify on and talk about, which is we need to do a better job of selling the concept of, and pointing out that this is one of the advantages of being able to navigate through a city your environment, going on these meaningful trips. And that's certainly a, a, a wonderful advantage because you're able to, to really appreciate and see your city and your environment at a much more intimate level. Yeah, um, it, it is more enjoyable. And the other the other uh, aspect of that that you didn't touch on, I probably didn't mention it, is when I'm sitting upright on my bike, uh, with that step through is I feel like I'm able to see more of what's around me and I'm more aware of my environment just because I'm not leaning forward. And when you lean forward, you tend to look, uh, you know, kind of vertically down, maybe more at a 45 degree angle. So you're looking ahead of you, but not fully ahead of you. And when you're sitting upright, you have the full view ahead of you and it's so much easier to turn your head and and look around. If you need to react on your bike, it's, it's much easier, at least for a woman, 
to be able to stop the bike and jump off of that step through or jump down um, and put your feet on the ground much more quickly and not worry about getting hurt, not worry about like if the bike falls over, you have less likelihood to uh, fall to the side. And I can say when I had the bar going through the bike, when I did have to jump off, sometimes if the bike were starting to tip for whatever reason, that I typically would tumble with the bike as opposed to having the bike fall down in between in between, you know, how I'm, how I'm straddling with my feet on the ground. So overall, it feels much more safe and much more, it's just a much more enjoyable experience because I have more control. I feel like I have more control and more awareness with what's around me. And that's part of, you know, having that awareness of what's around you is what makes it so much more enjoyable. I see as I'm riding down the road, I see, you know, people out enjoying, if I'm in the city, people sitting out on the, you know, the sidewalks enjoying, you know, coffee or lunch. If I'm out in more in nature, I see more of the trees. I see more of the flowers. I just, I see more of the beauty um, around me. And again, I'm not riding for sport. So it's not as though, you know, I need to, to be more, stressed or more, it doesn't have to be as intense. And so moving away from that style bike and that position on the bike creates much more calm and much more uh, peacefulness as I'm going through and, and riding. Pardon this very brief pause. We'll get back to the discussion with Dom and Maggie in just a moment after a couple of very important reminders. First, be sure to check out the show notes for helpful links to all the cool stuff mentioned in this episode. And if you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to and rate the Active Towns podcast on the listening platform of your choice. We are pretty much out there on all of them, including Overcast, Spotify, Google, and of course, Apple Podcasts. And finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please, please, please do share it with at least one friend or colleague or several. Our audience is growing worldwide, so let's keep this conversation and the momentum to create a culture of activity rolling. Okay, that's it for this break. Let's get back to Dom and Maggie. And to add to Maggie's comments uh, about in the enjoyment factor, which is really there in riding a bicycle. Uh, a big part of this is that um, when you're on a bicycle riding through neighborhoods, uh, you're actually much better able to interact with and be friendly towards your neighbors, that you can wave more easily, you can say something more easily if you're on a bicycle compared to being inside a car. You tend to actually be able to be much more convivial when you're on a bicycle. And that's an important part of being part of a neighborhood is to interact with your neighbors. And we're losing that when we're in our, on our metal box cars. Part of that too, part of the enjoyment too, is that, is that as, I, as I point out in my writings, I have this concept I call the frustration syndrome. And that frustration is, an, I believe, in many ways, an inevitable part of getting around in this enormous box that we drive, that we drive in, that, that when you're in an enormous box as you travel – you are almost inevitably going to find frustration because things are always getting in your way. You're so large in your box that things are very often in your way and you get frustrated very regularly and that raises your blood pressure. You feel more stress. And so what ends up happening is I, th I think if, as you travel by car so often as so many Americans do, you feel more stress, you feel more anger, you feel more frustration and it really puts you in a much, much uh, poorer mood than on a bicycle or walking, that you're in a much better mood if you're walking or bicycling. And so it's actually the, the mood and less stress that's part of the enjoyment as well as interacting with, with your neighbors. Yeah, I want to follow up with that. As far as being in the car, you're limited to or you're constricted by, by the roads and the driveways. And so when you're in your car, you pretty much only have one option, let's say, to get into to get into a parking lot, uh, to go to, you know, to go to the grocery store, you have to drive down the roads, you have to follow the signals, they tell you when you go, they tell you when you stop. If you're making a right hand turn, you have to ensure that there aren't other cars coming down the road. So and that adds to stress. When you're on your bike, you start noticing shortcuts. 
I can ride my bike diagonally through a parking lot to get somewhere more quickly. I can cut down an alleyway and then up a small sidewalk uh, onto a bike path to get somewhere more quickly. And so you don't have the same stresses on, on the bike that you do on, you know, when driving a car because you typically can bypass or navigate around high traffic dangerous traffic, big, long, you know, corridors and sidewalks that, that just make, it really makes a difference in, in the way you travel and, and the time. And you feel like when you're, you know, when you're in a car and you're moving, it's not as frustrating for you as when you're stopped, like at a stoplight or stopped in bumper to bumper traffic. When you're on your bike, if you're going, let's say, let's say three miles and you're on your bike, you're moving most of the time. And even though it takes you the same amount of time to get there, right, from point A to point B, you're moving most of the time. So you have the sense of I'm making progress. But if you're in your car and you're constantly getting stopped at lights and there's traffic, that frustration starts to build up, even though the time is the same, you know, the, the time to get to your destination is the same, you still experience all these little snippets of frustration and stress the whole time. And so that's an advantage of being on the bike is, is it really eliminates um, the general stress that you feel to get to, to get to those destinations. I just wanted to amplify something that you just said there, which is uh, cities can also learn from this concept of being able to integrate different types of systems, different types of mobility systems. And Boulder happens to be one of the cities that does a really uh, magnificent job at this point in many cases. For instance, the, that flexibility when you're on a bike to be able to use a quiet neighborhood street to be able to then transition over to uh, one of the creek paths and be able to get to to other destinations and then hop off and then go into a bike lane to be able to get to a destination. So it's this magnificent integration of different types of mobility networks. I wanted to add to Maggie's comments about bicycling and the comparison to driving a car in more crowded, more congested situations. Uh, one of the things I controversially say is that traffic congestion is actually in many ways healthy for cities. And yet, of course, Understandably, a lot of us complain about congestion. We're in cars and we really hate being in congestion in a car. One of the things I've noticed as I travel by bicycle is that I almost never notice traffic congestion when I'm on a bicycle. You uh, are not stopped as often as you are on a car or on a bicycle, in, in, even in congestion. And so congestion is a person becomes much more oblivious to congestion when they're on a bicycle. Uh, I should also mention, too, that a lot of people object to the idea that, that more people should be bicycling by saying, well, it's just too far, it's just too much. And yet we know that the large majority of trips people make is three miles or less, which is a very comfortable distance for bicycling. I also want to get back to the earlier comments about safety and bicycle helmets. Um, one of the big reasons why people choose not to bicycle is that they have the perception that bicycling is dangerous. And one of the things that many of us, uh, many of my colleagues like to point out is that if we uh, engage in an obsessive, single-minded effort to get people to always wear helmets, I believe that's strategically undesirable because the message we send very clearly when a lot of us are wearing bicycle helmets is that it's too dangerous to ride a bicycle. Don't bicycle because it's so dangerous. And so we're in effect dangerizing bicycling by wearing helmets as often as we do. I'm not trying to suggest that we should never wear helmets. I do believe, however, that in, in some cases, particularly low speed town centers, where it's relatively safe to bicycle, for most of us, it's actually it's actually adequately safe. It's acceptably safe to to bicycle without a helmet, as they as they do in Europe. And Europe, without the bicycle helmets, uh, we know from studies there is actually less per capita head injuries for bicyclists in Europe than the bicyclists in America, uh, despite the helmet difference. Yeah, and so that brings us squarely to you all have a new venture. Correct. You're so passionate about Europe in giving people the opportunity to experience Europe. Tell us about that. Yeah. So Follow Our Footprints is a travel blog that Dom and I decided to launch right before we uh, took our trip to Sicily in, in December. And the reason we started it is because every time we go on a trip, um, and of course, we're posting pictures like crazy. Dom's all, always documenting um, all of the walking, the cycling, and the things that we do that are really enjoyable that 
we typically get, you know, when we're in Europe, we're typically either walking or we're bicycling. And sometimes we take a little bit of, of public transport to get to where we need to go. We're, we're pretty much car free. So when we, when we get back from our trips, we're, we're typically, um, bombarded by friends requests to, to see photos, talk about our experiences and help them when they're looking for places to go and how to get around. So we thought, well, it seems to me like I know it's just our friends, but there must be some sort of demand out there for people to, people may want to travel the way we do. One thing I noticed going to Europe, uh, the first time I went to Europe was England, probably about, I don't know, 14, 15 years ago, but that people, people obviously used, use their feet and use public transport a lot more. And it would scare me to get in a car in England and drive around. Now I'm okay with driving on the other side of the road. I lived in Australia for a while and, and their streets tend to be more US style, you know, streets and driving in Europe just really scared me. It just was never an option. So, so we decided that this blog would be something that we could do and put out there to let people know it's, it's easy to get around without car, without a car. And you can build itineraries and see lots of wonderful places and wonderful things by going car free that you wouldn't have the opportunity to do if you did have a car. So I feel like the car restricts you more. So our, our blog, Follow Our Footprints, um, talks about how we go around to, you know, we, we travel around cities, we stay basically in city centers, we bike to where we need to go, we walk to where we need to go, we uh, take public transport uh, to where we, we need to go. And we document that and give people ideas about what they, what they can do. In fact, I just posted an article last week that talked about bicycling in Europe, and I still have quite a bit to build out on that. I really did just touch on the Netherlands, but, but yeah, so that is the idea. That is the idea around follow our, our footprints so that uh, people can see how you can go to Europe and be active and get around car, car free. Yeah. And I was just poking around out on your website and it's more than just a blog. I mean, this is a really a fabulous resource for people to be able to do some research, but also to be able to book things right there on that site. So that's fantastic. As Maggie was saying, a lot of our friends are interested in, in what we did and, and wanting to learn how they could do what we did. We, uh, through the website, are deciding that we have a lot of lessons learned. We've traveled to Europe several times and we've been to several cities and we have learned many things. We have made mistakes. We have had quagmires and debacles. And part of our website is here's how you can avoid making those mistakes that we made. Uh, here's what you can do to travel more affordably. Here's what you can do to have unforgettable experiences. Because we have built up over the years a lot of wisdom about doing that in a, in a, very, um, in a very affordable way, in a way, way that's rather easy. And we wanted to share that with others. A big part of this as well is that we have become so passionate in these kinds of travels. We enjoy it so much. The passion motivates us to prepare this um, this resource-rich website, the uh, the Follower Footprints website, because we're so passionate about it, we want to share it with others and allow others to experience what we're experiencing because we're so passionate about it. Yeah. And I jump in to say that not only are you so passionate about it in terms of sharing it with others and, and doing this website, you also put the call out publicly saying, hey, come join us. And that again, that's that's part of what I love about you, too, is that you you apply that same concept, that same level of openness and sense of hospitality to, to your trip, to going out to the cafe on Sunday, pulling people together online virtually, uh, offering to your friends, hey, we have a spare bedroom, <laughs> come visit us. I love that about you too. Yeah, I was I was going to just follow up on that and say that, you know, with with the spare bedroom, we have a friend that lives in Florida and he's been out, I want to say maybe three times, four times to come and stay in our spare bedroom, because the first time he came out and the first time he took us up on that, it just it blew him away, you know, as far as as what Boulder has to offer, 
how to get around the kinds of things we do for fun and activity that he just keeps coming back. And, and it's great. We, we love him. We love having him here. And it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun for me to get to, to get to know him as, as a person, but it's, it's infectious, you know, the lifestyle is infectious. So yeah, hoping to be able to pass that over uh, onto our travel adventures and get more and more people to join us because it is infectious. Yeah, yeah, that's great stuff. We mentioned porches earlier, uh, Mr. Dom, and uh, we talk a little bit about uh, that sociability aspect and how important it is for people to to be able to connect with one another. And right now, during this pandemic, we're in this really odd situation where people have this desire to connect, and at the same time, we have to stay apart. And what we're seeing nationally, globally, around the world, is that when people are able to get out for a breath of fresh air, get some sunlight, get some exercise in, we we do have that situation where we need to maintain that physical distance. And so in many cities, it's happening in the street. And that brings me back around to that concept of open streets and that concept of slow streets and quiet streets. But it also brings me back around to this fabulous event that happens once a year, up on Mapleton Hill, Porch Fest. And I've never seen you more emotional than this past year when you were nearly at tears. You were so delighted and so happy. Share with us why you were so happy. America has become, in the words of Robert Putnam, makes the important point in his research and findings that we've become a nation of loners. Uh, We're bowling alone, as he says. Porch Fest is one way, one meaningful way in which we can actually become more of a neighborly people, people that are more interactive with others. We're often throughout our lives so isolated from each other. Porch Fest is a way in which we can uh, have people experience what it's like to to live with neighbors and interact with neighbors. And I think that's a really essential part of being a human being, that we actually integrate with others, we interact with others, we talk with others, we're a social species. And it's just so pleasant and enjoyable and rewarding and gratifying to me to see all those big smiles during Porch Fest, people just having a great time, thinking to themselves, my God, this... This kind of thing is such an enjoyable event. I'm so happy to be able to experience this. And it's, it's such a safety experience as well. It's, it's something that is, is not only wonderful, but actually something that's, that's free of charge. I can see all this great music for free. I can see people that I hadn't seen in, in months or years. And I'm just so enjoying the experience. And to me, that's just, it, as you said, it, it brings tears to my eyes to see my baby bringing such joy to so many people in my community. Yeah, so I want to mention that Porch Fest is uh, basically 28 or 30 bands that play on um, that play music, live music on 14 to 15 porches. So they, they do two different rounds, but it's it's essentially bands that come out and play on beautiful front porches and people can uh, walk along or ride their bikes along and just and just plop down on on the grass on the front lawn and sit and listen to bands. And you have the opportunity uh, during each session to visit 14 or 15 different porches playing all different types of music. And what's beautiful about Porch Fest is um, the Porch Fest uh, committee generally encourages people to, if, if they're coming from afar, to park outside of the neighborhood, don't drive through, and walk into the neighborhood or, or bike into the neighborhood. So what you get at Porch Fest, it's like a giant festive party out on the streets where people, it's just filled with people walking. It's filled with people um, biking. I would say probably 40% are on bikes and maybe maybe 60% are on foot um, walking around Porch Fest. But it's, it's a wonderful example of having a small community with people out on the streets and, and getting from porch to porch or house to house in ways that are much more friendly and much more conducive to, you know, just conducive to, to meeting, meeting neighbors and, and meeting new friends. Yeah, that interaction. And it's also important, too, to know that Porch Fest uh, events happen all over the country. There's a growing number of cities that are hosting and putting on Porch Fest. Our website, Mapleton Hill Porch Fest, provides 
instructions for how other communities can establish their very own porch fest. And so we're hoping to see this be something that grows more as a result of people like us who can provide people with the ability to know how to do it themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's a great. I'm glad you mentioned that. So, Maggie, you're a relative newcomer to this whole world of advocating for more lovable, livable, walkable, bikeable places. What advice or guidance would you have for someone? So, you know, I think it depends on where, you know, I always say this as a qualifier, it depends on where you live. Where I used to live, it was just not something that people would do. It wasn't the norm at all. Um, the only time you saw people on bikes is they were in Lycra and they were wearing helmets and they were riding down the road and it was incredibly unsafe. It felt very unsafe. I never tried to bicycle in my old community as a, a bicycle commuter the way I, you know, the way I do now. But my advice would be to just, if you don't have a bike, just get a bike and go out there and start practicing, you know, riding around in your neighborhoods. If you live in suburbia, you know, ride down to the local Starbucks. If you have to run an errand, take your bike and ride to the local grocery store and come back. And just, it's, it's like baby steps, right? Just start doing one thing at a time or once a week, make a commitment once a week to just take your bike out and go do it. If you have to go get your nails done, if you have to, you know, go get a haircut, whatever it is, just take your bike out once a week and see how much more enjoyable it is. Chances are, by the time you get home, you are going to feel much better overall than if you drove your car. So, so that would be my, you know, my advice is just do one thing. And the other thing is if you're a new, you know, if, if you're new to bicycling, and I can attest to this, um, when Dom first bought me my bike, don't try to go really far, really just start going down to the local market that's within a mile and back or the coffee house with which is uh, within a mile and back because you do have to break yourself in a little bit. It is if you're not used to sitting on on a bike saddle, you need to get used to sitting on a bike saddle. Um, and also make sure that the bike saddle is is nice and big and wide because those are things that make a difference. You know, when you're on a bike and you're not used to riding a bike and you know, after if you've tried to just all of a sudden ride 10 miles, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, this is really painful. How do people do this? Well, it's not always that way. So you just have to very slowly, you know, once a week, you know, go do that. Or after dinner, you know, you and, and your spouse or you and your partner can can just say, you know what, let's go take a bike ride and just go, you know, ride around for 20 minutes and we'll ride through the neighborhoods. And they'll get to to see things in their neighborhood that they never noticed in a car, they'll meet neighbors that they never, you know, didn't even know existed. And they can do the same thing walking as well. You know, after dinner, you say, hey, let's go down, you know, just walk down to the local ice cream shop rather than than take your car. And, and it exposes a whole, what you'll see is that it exposes a whole different side of the neighborhood, um, the neighborhood to you. I love that because what you're really saying is, if you're inspired to, to make a difference, if you're inspired to like, you know, start to appreciate this is take baby steps, just get out there and do it. And I think the lesson that is also embedded in, if you don't have a bike, get a bike is going back to your original comment of the type of bike matters. If what you're really, your intent is, is to be able to, to head down to the coffee shop or maybe uh, start making more short utilitarian trips, then maybe a more upright style Dutch style bike is the more appropriate bike than getting on just any bike that where you may not be as comfortable. Is that correct, Maggie? Yeah, that is correct. And and I, I want to follow up with that too. Um, and, and say that when you get a bike, maybe, maybe go to your local bike shop and have a, a rear bike rack installed on, on the bike so that you can either lock a basket back there or hang um, bicycle bags. Because that way, if you do go somewhere, if, if you don't have those things on your bike and you go to the, you know, you think, well, I want to go to the grocery store. And if I don't have a bike rack on the back of my bike, I have no way really to carry anything back with me. But if you, if you get a bicycle, a bicycle rack on the back of your bike and you can hang bicycle bags or, you know, those kind of grocery, grocery rack, um, type side, side saddles, then you can actually load things, load things on your bike. And so you can use your bike more as it, it becomes more of a utility or more of, you know, like a service type, type vehicle, rather than just something that, you know, you kind of get out there and ride and all you can do is ride your bike. It, it, becomes, it becomes something that, that is much more practical for you than just going on a bike ride. 
Yeah. Now, Dom, you have the experience of of the bumps and bruises of being in the the trenches uh, of trying to do this. So your your question is as follows. What advice do you have for fellow advocates that are out there to try to stay positive and not get discouraged? Well, you asked the question at a time in which I feel really down and and pessimistic about our, uh, our prospects. But I will say that for me, what I've learned over the years is that it's not so much brilliant, brilliant ideas that will bring the revolution. I often thought for most of my life that if I could come up with those brilliant ideas, those fantastic, innovative ideas, then people will be persuaded. Then we'll have a revolution. What I've come to realize, though, is that instead, it's not so much the brilliant ideas that win the day. It's that you have the right timing. Your timing is right for for what you're you're suggesting or advocating, and that it therefore resonates with a lot of people. If your timing is right, then a lot of people say, "This is this is fantastic. We must do this. I'm really on board with you. Let's move now on this because we're in a crisis situation." We must I really buy into your idea. It's, it's, it's all about timing. It's all about saying things at the right time to have people really buy in. And that's one reason why we have to think about how we can leverage the current crisis of the pandemic. There are many opportunities we can more successfully move towards by using the pandemic crisis as a way to have people say, you know, this is the way we have to go. We now know, we now see very visibly that we should go in this direction. And it's our obligation, our responsibility to find those ways to use this timing to find concepts that resonate with people. And I think there are many ways that we can do that. Yeah. And I think that uh, this conversation that we're having is part of it because what we're doing right here in this conversation, in this dialogue is a form of storytelling and storytelling from uh, different perspectives and hopefully being able to present some information which is which is both you know knowledge but it's also about passion it's also about things that hopefully will resonate with people from an emotional level and when i see your smiles on your faces in your posts and when you're talking about the things that you're passionate about those are the types of things that hopefully will will move people along a, a spectrum and and it sort of bolsters the data because data is not very inspiring, but the smiles on your faces, they definitely are. I want to mention that in addition to the idea of motivating people to bicycle more as we normalize it and make people realize this is something they could do themselves. One thing that we really, really loved in Italy was finding the uh, the lovely, charming, romantic aspect, uh, the tradition that we find in so many Italian cities of La Passeggiata, that each day in most Italian cities, there is this uh, tradition where people from 5 to 8 p.m. will, as a community, engage in a lovely, friendly, neighborly stroll down the streets in Italy. And it's so inspiring to see because... What happens with these is that people really enjoy it so much. They spread the word to their neighbors, and there's this self-perpetuating virtuous cycle of more and more people wanting to join in this stroll. And so over time, over the course of months and years, you see these pasajatas get larger and larger. More and more of the community join the event. And I believe that we can transfer that concept to America. We can actually have our own our own form of Italian passeggiata in our town centers in America. And I would love to see us starting to spark interest in that whole concept and make it our own American tradition. I think that's a great way for us to be more neighborly and to engage in more walking. Love it. Love it. Maggie, your final thought. Yeah, my final thought would be, I think about people and how well they know their communities. And we need to get to know our communities. And we can't do that by being in our car and driving to the grocery store and driving to Starbucks and driving to the dry cleaners um, and doing all those things locked in this kind of salt, this isolating 
you know, vehicle, right? So in order for us to really enjoy our lives, and hopefully when we come out of this lockdown and everybody really starts coming out of our, you know, our houses, that people get to know their communities and get to know your communities by setting out on foot and setting out on, by bike and just riding around. And it's it's a much slower process and you have a lot more opportunity to interact with people along the way. And by knowing your community, it just makes it makes your whole experience of doing even the mundane so much more enjoyable. So I would say get out there and be visible and stop and interact. Wow. Thank you. So I, there's no better way to end this. This is fantastic. Dom and Maggie, thank you so very much for joining me on the Active Towns podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you, John. This has been great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so very much for listening, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Dom and Maggie. Be sure to check out their blog, Follow Our Footprints. Again, the links are in the show notes, which you can always access on our website at activetowns.org. And as a final reminder, please don't hesitate to drop me a line if you have any suggested guests, future topics in mind, or just to say hi. It's always great to hear from you. My email is john, J-O-H-N, at activetowns.org. Please stay safe and healthy. And when you go out, remember to maintain safe physical distancing and wear a face covering. My two personal favorites are my People for Bikes and Adventure Cycling Buffs. Heck, I might as well promote a couple of amazing organizations. Okay, that's it for this episode. So until next time, this is John signing off by wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers. Cheers.